Hi everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we're going to be talking about the case of Zach Bowen. And this case is most often known as the case of Zach and Addy. So Zach and Addy were a young couple in their 20s and at the time of this case taking place they were actually living in New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Zach and Addy decided to stay behind after the storm and they soon became leaders of a small community of survivors where they were forced to fend for themselves with no electricity, no water and no heating. And they gained a lot of attention in the media because of this. They were doing interviews with newspapers and everything. However, eventually they made it through all of this and then they went back to living their lives as quote normal. But unfortunately, things would never be normal again. And well, let's just say this case takes quite a crazy turn. When I first came across this case, I did not see it coming at all. And the crazy events that take place after this case are what makes this case so infamous. So there is a lot to get through in this one, as always. So let's just jump straight in. Zach Bowen was born on the 15th of May, 1978, making him a Taurus. We've got another Taurus case. I didn't do one for so long and now I've done two. Or is it three? I think it's just two in such a short space of time. He was born in Bakersfield, California to his mom, Lori, and his dad, Jack. He had an older brother who was three years older than him. His name was Jed. So Zach's parents, Lori and Jack, had always dreamed of traveling the country. They decided, you know what? Let's go do this now. Let's go travel the US. They had a VW camper van. They packed up all of the belongings. Their two children and they went on the road. They went from state to state, starting in California. They went to Washington. They also went to Idaho. They did have connections in Washington. They did have family there. So I think they did stay in Washington for a little bit longer. And things were absolutely great on the road. This was like what they had always wanted and things were going great. But the family did eventually settle back down in Bakersfield, California. Zach's dad, Jack, did get a job at a local oil company. And this is when tensions started to grow between the parents when they moved back to California. It basically all started because Jack absolutely hated his job and therefore this affected his whole personality and he kind of took it out on his family. He started to spend a lot of time drinking, basically forgetting that he is a grown adult with responsibilities with children and he was just going out all the time drinking with friends and leaving Zach's mom, Lori, to basically do everything. And then out of nowhere, Jack all of a sudden just quits his job. But you know what? He hated his job so much. It's like if you really hate your job that much and it's taking such a toll on your mental health, on your quality of life, if you can, quit your job and find a better job. Find a job that you enjoy. However, Jack was just like, you know what? I'm just not going to work at all. And of course, Laurie was just like, okay, so not only do I have to raise the kids myself, look after a household, I also have to earn all of the money to fund all of this as well. Great. There were times where the family literally had no food in the fridge because they couldn't afford it. So Laurie pleaded with Jack to please get another job. Like we need it. We're struggling. We cannot afford to go on like this. So in the end, Jack did get another job, but uh, the job that he got 
let's just say it didn't go down too well. So Jack was now working as a bartender in a strip club. And when Laurie found out, because she didn't find out straight away, she was just like, really? Now, I'm not saying anything bad about strip clubs. I'm not saying anything like that. It was quite obvious in this situation that he got on that job for all of the wrong reasons. And Laurie pleaded with Jack to find another job, which in the end he did. And this job was in Seattle. Like I said, they did have family in Washington. So that's probably why he did look for a job in Seattle. And the whole family moved to Seattle. And this is when Zach is seven years old. And things went okay for a little while, like fresh start, new environment and everything. Everything was going great. But then of course, tensions started to rise. Jack started slipping again into his bad habits. He was drinking a lot. He was staying out all night. He was partying with friends, basically forgetting that he was a father. And he just wouldn't come home to like three, four in the morning, just drunk. And again, Laurie was having to take on all of the responsibility of looking after the family. And it just got to a point where Laurie was just like, you know what, I've had enough. I've put up with this for far too long. And Laurie did divorce Jack in 1990. So then Laurie with the two sons moved to Santa Maria, California. And Jack, the dad, stayed in Seattle. Okay, I feel like that was like the parents biography there. So now we are actually going to get on to Zach and his life. So around this time when they did move back to California, Zach was entering into his teenage years. And can you imagine he spent like a decent amount of his childhood like on the road because obviously they were traveling around. Then they settled in California. Then they went to Seattle and now he's back in California. This is a hell of a lot of disruption for any child, for anyone really. Of course, he was also having to go through the fact that his parents were going through a divorce and he's also starting a new school, which is never fun, is it? And as a teenager, Zach has been described as pretty awkward, kind of goofy, kind of shy. He was really into heavy metal and grunge music. And it's just been said that sometimes he did struggle to fit in with his fellow classmates. And it's said that a lot of Zach Zach's awkwardness came from his insecurities about his height. Zach was six foot ten, huge, so tall, so he really did stand out from everyone else. Also, he wore a size 17 shoe, which I was just like, <laughs> what? I think that's like a size 16 in the UK. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm a size four. So I'm like, I can't even imagine someone would be that big. And to kind of cover up his awkwardness and shyness, Zach turned to comedy. He was actually labeled the class clown. He would quite often just fool around, try and make people laugh, even if it was at his own expense. Like he just wanted to make people laugh. He kind of just wanted to distract people from like his insecurities, which obviously it was his height. And when I read that, I was just like, well, that's just Chandler Bing, isn't it? Even though Chandler Bing is not that tall, but you know what I mean. And as Zach entered his senior year, he was nominated for Homecoming King. And he really wanted this. Like he really wanted this so bad. And even though Zach was quite well liked, like he was the class joker, everyone actually liked him. Zach never really felt like he fitted in. And he felt like if he won Homecoming King, that would be his validation from his classmates. He would feel finally accepted. But unfortunately, Zach didn't win. And this left him absolutely devastated. And I'm not just talking about like a little bit of devastation, like you get over it the next day. 
He was devastated. So devastated that straight after homecoming, he dropped out of school. And he still had half of his senior year to go. Like he just dropped out. He was so devastated. He was so mortified. I don't know if he was embarrassed. I don't know, but he was just really upset and torn up about the whole thing. Now, I am from the UK. Now, I, I don't know. Is this a big deal? It's like we don't have homecoming king and queen. At least we didn't in my school. Um, we do have prom, even though I didn't go to my own prom, but that's a story for another day. Is homecoming king and queen like a real big deal? Like, I don't know, because I only know what I know from TV and film. And that's obviously not always accurate, is it? I feel like his reaction is a bit extreme, like dropping out of school because he didn't win. So Zach dropped out of school. And as you can imagine, his mom was not happy. Zach had always done pretty well at school. He had pretty decent grades and his mom had high hopes for his future. And she just did not see this coming. Like he had shown no signs prior to this of ever even thinking about dropping out of school. And Zach didn't really have the best of plans when he dropped out of school because Zach decided that he wanted to go and live with his dad who was in Seattle, Washington. And this came as even more of a shock to Lori because since the divorce, Zach and his dad hadn't really had much of a relationship. They saw each other every now and again. They probably talked on the phone every now and again, but they weren't close. They didn't really have like any kind of relationship really. It's said that Zach's dad acted more like he wanted to be one of Zach's buddies than his dad. So he wasn't really the best parental figure, let's just say. I feel like we all know kind of someone like this. But this is what Zach wanted to do. And Laurie couldn't exactly stop him, could she? I mean, he was going to live with his dad. <laughs> like She can't exactly stop him. Now, this is just my observation, but it kind of seems like to me, Zach losing Homecoming King he wants to run away from all of his responsibilities. He wants to run away from the situation. He wants to bury his head in the sand. And that is why he's run off to his dad because he knows that his dad won't make him face up to his responsibilities. Whereas if he stayed with his mom, his mom would obviously not want him to drop out of school, encourage him to go back and therefore facing the reality of his life but maybe I'm just thinking a bit too deep into it. So Zach packs up his bags and moves to Seattle, Washington to make a fresh start with his dad. And when Zach arrives, Jack, it's very confusing, isn't it? Zach and Jack. Zach is the son, Jack is the dad. So when Zach arrives, Jack being the really responsible parent that he is, comes up with a plan on how Zach should now spend his time. Jack decides that Zach and himself should go on a road trip and hit up all of the party spots across the country and basically just party, drink all the time. And this is exactly what they do. Jack completely disregards the fact that Zach should be in school, should be studying or should be doing something maybe responsible. And they go around and party and get drunk. They stop in Savannah, Georgia for Lauderdale, Lauderdale. Um, <laughs> I can't pronounce anything in Florida before they finally end up in New Orleans, Louisiana. But when they arrived in New Orleans, the novelty of the road trip had kind of worn off on Zach. I keep going to say Jack the sun. Oh my God, it's so confusing. So the sun was kind of over the road trip at this point. He was like, you know what, I'm bored. 
drinking and partying all the time, yeah, it's fun. But when you're doing it every single day, day in, day out, it's boring. It was just too repetitive for him. And he decided that he actually did want to go back to school and he did want to get his qualifications. And that's it, what he did. He enrolled in a high school in New Orleans. He wanted to finish his senior year. And at this point, when Zach enrolls back into school, Jack, the dad, decides, oh, well, you clearly don't want to spend any more time with me anymore. So I'm going to leave you here and go back to Seattle, Washington. And that's what he does. He leaves his son in New Orleans. He really should get Parent of the Year award, shouldn't he? He's a, he's a Jack. Oh my God, Jack. Zach at this point is 17. He's 17, he's still a child. Why are you leaving him in a city that he's never been to before? At least I don't think he has. He doesn't know anybody. Why don't you stay and maybe be a parent? So Zach is just left on his own in New Orleans. And he doesn't stay in high school for that long. He does drop out of high school again because he just feels like he doesn't fit in. So Zach is now completely alone in New Orleans and he doesn't have a clue what to do. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have anything. I think he's just turning 18 at this point when all of this is going on and he starts to look for work and he starts to look for work at some of the bars on Bourbon Street. Now the drinking age in the US is 21. I think it's 21 in all states, I may be wrong. So I don't know if Zach lied about his age or I don't know, are you allowed to serve alcohol even though you're not 21 in the US? I don't know. And he did get a job at serving alcohol. He was like serving go cups out of a window, kind of like take out alcohol kind of situation. And this is how he met a woman called Lana Shupak. He served her a drink. He started talking to her, flirting a little bit, and they instantly hit it off. Now, Lana was 28 years old. She was living in Dallas, Texas, where she worked as a dancer in a strip club. And she was currently visiting New Orleans just as a tourist. She was on a little road trip with a friend. And almost immediately after Lana and Zach met, they became infatuated with each other. And Zach begged Lana to stay in New Orleans. He begged her like, please don't go back to Dallas. Stay here in New Orleans with me. And this is exactly what she did. She left her life in Dallas behind and she moved to New Orleans to be with Zach. And it's said that as soon as the pair started dating each other, they became inseparable. And it went on like this, like things were going great for a few months. However, there was one problem and that is Lana didn't realize how old Zach was. She had no idea that Zach was 10 years younger than her. So Lana is 28 and Zach is only 18. And I don't know how she didn't realize this. Like, did she just not ask? Like, did she just assume that he was 21 or at least over 21 because she did meet him in a bar? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know the situation, but she didn't know how old Zach was. However, another huge shock followed pretty much straight after she found out Zach's age. And that was that she found out that she was pregnant. So when Lana found out that she was pregnant, she did have a little bit of a panic because she knew that she wanted to be a mom and she felt like she was ready to be a mom. But Zach is only 18. She didn't think that he was ready to take on that responsibility. So she broke the news to Zach and she was like, listen, I'm gonna keep the baby, but there's no pressure. Like, don't feel like you need to be a father to the child. Like, I can do this on my own, like no pressure. But Zach was like, no, I can do this. I wanna be a father. Like, I can step up, I can be there. And Zach did step up when their son was born. They did name him Jackson. 
He absolutely adored his son. He stepped up. He was a father. He took on the responsibility. And Zach really wanted to be a responsible dad. He really wanted to be there for his son. I can imagine he probably didn't want to be like his own dad. So obviously with another mouth to feed, money was a little bit tighter than it was before, but Zach took on extra shifts. He worked every moment that he could to earn money for the family, to provide for his family, and earn enough money that he could afford an apartment for the family. And it wasn't long before Zach did propose to Lana and the two of them got married. And then not too long after the wedding, they had a second child that was on the way and they had a little daughter and they called her Lily. So Zach is 20 years old. He is married. He has two kids. He's still working as a bartender. He's taking as many shifts as he possibly can. The money that he was getting from bartending just wasn't cutting it anymore. It wasn't providing a stable enough income to provide for his family. And this is when Zach decides that he needs a change of career. He needs something a little bit more stable, a little bit more guaranteed. And this is when Zach decided to enroll into the US Army. It was the year 2000 and currently in the year 2000, there wasn't really any war. I don't know what I'm talking about here. This is just what I read when I was doing my research. And both Zach and Lana thought that it was a good time for Zach to join the army. However, we all know what happened not too long after 2000. I don't really need to go into that. And it wasn't too long before Zach was sent to Iraq to fight in the war. And fighting in Iraq completely changed Zach. I mean, I can only imagine. His time in Iraq left him with severe PTSD. I mean, I can only imagine the kind of things that he saw, maybe even did himself. But there was one incident that just haunted Zach. He had become friends with a young boy in Iraq and him and this boy, like they had quite a good friendship almost. He was teaching this little boy English. He kind of became attached to this boy and felt very protective over this boy. And then this little boy was killed because he became friends with American soldiers. As you can imagine, Zach blamed himself for the death of this little boy. I mean, obviously, understandably, anyone would blame themselves, even though obviously it wasn't his fault. And this was just one of many events that happened in Iraq that really did affect Zach. Zach was discharged from the army in 2004 and he was 26 at this point, but he returned home suffering with depression and severe PTSD. So when he returned home, he did return to Lana and the children and then he looked for another job bartending. And Zach tried as best as he could to just almost return to the life that he had before he left, before he joined the army. But just things were not the same. Zach was a completely different person. And Zach and Lana fought a hell of a lot. And this eventually led to them separating. So Zach moves out. He is bartending. And this is when he meets another woman named Addie Hall. And he met Addie because she worked in the same bar as him. Now, initially, Addie was not interested in Zach at all like she just paid him no attention. But Zach pretty much instantly took a liking to Addie and the fact that Addie didn't really show any interest in Zach almost fueled Zach more, like he was determined to pursue her. So Addie always worked the shift after Zach. So when Zach finished his shift, he would stay around and hang out at the bar 
just to keep Addie company. And eventually, Addie seemed to warm to Zach and they did start dating. Addie has been described as an extremely creative, extremely talented person. She was a free-spirited kind of person. She did grow up and was originally from North Carolina and then moved to New Orleans. However, Addie did have quite a troubled childhood. It is said that she suffered sexual abuse when she was a child. And this abuse, understandably, had a very lasting effect on her. She also had undiagnosed bipolar disorder and when she was an adult, she also did go on to have quite a number of abusive relationships as well. And after these abusive relationships, she moved to New Orleans for a fresh start. And it's said that when she moved to New Orleans, she finally found herself. She finally started to become confident and independent. However, she still had quite a few inner demons. And she has been described by her friends as extremely volatile. And I'm sure the fact that she did have undiagnosed bipolar probably did play into that. But Addie was especially volatile when she had a few drinks in her. Let's just say Addie is an aggressive, angry drunk. And that is probably putting it lightly. And Addie was a very heavy drinker. So <laughs> she wasn't the nicest person probably quite a lot of the time. She was just very, very nasty when she was drunk. But when she was sober, like she was the nicest person. But when she was drunk, people avoided her. But Zach completely fell for her. And they started a relationship pretty quickly and it became pretty intense pretty quickly as well. They would stay out partying like all night in New Orleans. They were both heavy drinkers. They were both doing drugs. And this like partying all night, drinking a lot, taking a lot of drugs, wasn't just like one night a week or two nights. It was pretty much all the time. Zach and Addie's relationship was basically just one huge drink and drug binge. And obviously this doesn't really make the healthiest relationship. So things go on like this for a while and they're in that beginning stage of their relationship, aren't they? So everything's all peachy. And then Hurricane Katrina hit. And this was just a few months after they started dating. Now, Hurricane Katrina, oh my God, absolutely devastated New Orleans. I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't want to speak for anybody, but I can imagine it was a truly terrifying time, like like a living nightmare, like hell on earth. And when the storm hit, Lana, Zach's ex-wife, the mother of his children, pleaded with Zach to evacuate. Lana wanted Zach with her, with the kids. She wanted to stay as a family unit. She wanted to evacuate. She wanted them all to be safe. But Addie and Zach didn't want this. And Lana was like, um, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, come, Addie can come as well. Like, don't worry, we can all evacuate together. We all just need to stay together. But Zach and Addie didn't want to evacuate. Addie and Zach decided to stick out the storm. They wanted to stay put. And I don't think that there was a mandatory um, evacuation at this point. I don't know if there ever was in Hurricane Katrina. So obviously it's their right, they can stay. But it's just like, Zach, you've got children. 
surely you want to be with your children if you've got the opportunity you know like why aren't you going but Addy had this idea in her head of Zach and Addy against the world and she also had this mindset of what will be will be if they were meant to survive they would it didn't matter where they were it didn't matter if they evacuated or not so Zach and Addy stayed and luckily they made it through the storm unharmed because the place that they were staying wasn't as badly hit as other areas of New Orleans. But amazingly, not only did they survive the storm unharmed, Zach and Addie were actually thriving in this environment. I know that sounds really like crazy to say. There's so much devastation and heartbreak all around them, but they're thriving. They're living their best life. So during the storm, they had banded together with a few other people that had decided to stay behind and they kind of formed this little community. They would make dinners around the campfire. They would also sing songs, like a sing-along thing around the campfire. There was drinking, there was dancing. It was basically like a little festival or something. They didn't have any electricity though. There was no water, there was no heating, no aircon. They were loving this little apocalyptic world they were in. And it kind of reminded me of like The Walking Dead, you know, like, you know how some people thrive and some people don't. I personally would be somebody that would die straight away in The Walking Dead. Um, but Zach and Addy were loving it. Both of them would break into the bars in the local area to get alcohol for their little community. And they became somewhat ringleaders of this little community. They were like king and queen. And it's just so weird to imagine like having that kind of attitude to a situation like Hurricane Katrina. I mean, it is reported that they were completely oblivious to everything that's going on because they didn't have electricity. They didn't have like a news feed coming through and telling them everything that was going on. Maybe they were completely oblivious and they weren't aware of everything that was going on and they were just in this little bubble. But it just seems so weird to me that they're having the time of their life during Hurricane Katrina. And on top of all of this, this is probably why as well I find it so hard to be in their mindset is that Zach never once attempted to contact Lana or his children. Now, I don't know how easy or hard it would have been to contact them, but let's just say he didn't even make the effort. And Lana at this point actually did think that Zach was probably dead and she was thinking, oh my God, how the hell am I supposed to tell our children that their father has died? So Lana is battling with the fact that the father of her children is probably dead. She doesn't know where he is and she doesn't know how to tell her children whilst Zach is partying and having the time of his life. So that's probably why I'm struggling to understand the attitude and the mindset of Zach and Addy at this point. And because of the little community that Zach and Addy had formed and the way that they were living their lives currently, this did get them quite a lot of attention from the media. They were seen as symbols of the survivor community. And the media actually did label them as the king and queen of the survivor community. And oh my God, can you imagine Lana? Because their picture was in the paper and everything. Can you imagine Lana opening up the paper and seeing the father of her children being the king of this little community? And he can't even be bothered to contact them. I tend to think too much into things, so there's probably no link here. 
But you remember when Zack lost Homecoming King? I can't help but wonder whether Zack being labelled the king of the Survivor community was almost like, I don't know, satisfying that desire for attention that he quite clearly craves. However, of course, this lifestyle could not last for forever. People were returning to the city. I mean, the cleanup operation had to start, didn't it? The electricity came back and everything like that. And Zach and Addy had to finally go back to reality. And they struggled to go back to the way that life was before Hurricane Katrina. They wanted to stay the way they were. They wanted to stay in this little survivor community. They probably wanted to stay king and queen and they wanted to keep getting all of the attention. Both Zach and Addy, but especially Addy, resented the people returning back to the city. They actually judged them for not staying and sticking out the storm. Both Zach and Addy thought that they were above everybody that evacuated. They thought that the people that had evacuated weren't true New Orleanians. Is that how you say it? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> are you being serious right now? So when things started to go back to normal, even though Obviously, it was a very long time before things went back to normal in New Orleans. The recovery period was obviously a very long time, but when things started to go back to kind of normal, uh, this really affected Zach and Addy's relationship and everything just starts to go downhill. And this kind of all started with Zach's PTSD. So when the cleanup began, a lot of military and military vehicles came in to help with the cleanup. And this was a massive trigger for Zach. The couple's drug usage as well skyrocketed after the storm. They were just really struggling to adapt back to normal life. And the couple were turning to drugs to almost try and relive the high and the experience that they had during Hurricane Katrina. And another very big issue in Zach and Addy's relationship was Zach's relationship with his ex-wife Lana and his two children Jackson and Lily. Eventually after the storm Zach decided that he wanted to get back in contact with Lana and start seeing his kids again and I really do mean eventually like it wasn't the first thing on his mind like it should have been. So he phones up Lana and he's just like hi I'm still alive by the way when can I see the kids? And Lana is just like, uh, hold on a second. She was like, you can't do this. You can't just abandon us in the storm. Let us think that you could be dead. And then just waltz back in here. Like nothing has gone on. Like she didn't want Zach to just keep walking in and out of her children's lives whenever he felt like it. So Lana says that she's going to meet him but it would just be her, like she doesn't want to bring the kids straight away. Lana also tells Zach that she wants to meet Addy. I mean, if Zach is going to be having the kids, having the kids stay over at his house, that means that the kids are going to interact with Addy and Lana wants to meet Addy first to kind of like see what the situation is. And you know what? I don't blame her. So the three of them meet up. They come to an arrangement that Zach can have the children every other weekend. But Addy did start to get fed up with Lana always calling the shots. And Addy even started to resent Lana. And this was also reflected in the way Addy was treating Zach and Lana's children. So initially she was all excited to be in the children's lives. She was excited to be be the stepmom but then all of a sudden like when it actually came to her being a stepmom 
she was really cold to the children. Like she wouldn't even talk to them. Whenever the children would come round that every other weekend, Addie just went off and parted. She didn't want anything to do with the kids. And the kids at this point are seven and five. So they're at that age where they are aware of things that are going on. So all of this made Zach and Addie's relationship deteriorate quite rapidly. And they would get into huge fights. And quite a lot of these fights would end up with Addie being physically abusive towards Zach. After these fights, Zach would be covered in bruises. And then with all of this going on, Zach starts to have an affair. He cheats on Addie. Zach was bisexual. And when he was at a bar one night, he met a man, they started flirting and he started an affair. Now, at first, Addie didn't know about this affair. But when she found out, she was furious, which I completely understand. Like, you're going to be furious if you find out that your partner is cheating on you. However, she seemed to be more focused on the fact that he was having an affair with a man rather than he was just having an affair at all. And they did get into an argument after Addie found out and she was being incredibly homophobic. She was using pretty much every single slur under the sun and she wanted revenge for this. And like I said, she seemed to be more focused on the fact that Zach had an affair with a man rather than him just having an affair. So what did she do? She got Zach's phone, called every single person in Zach's phone and told them that Zach had AIDS. This did result in Zach and Addie breaking up. However, Addie did not let this go. She had one final plan for revenge. So Addie got in contact with Zach and told him that she wanted to get back with him, like she wanted to give their relationship another go. And Zach also did want to get back with Addie as well. The relationship that he was having with that man kind of fizzled out and he realized that Addie was the one that he loved. So he wanted to get back with her. So Addie was like, well, we need a place to stay. Like we need an apartment. Let's sign for a lease on a new apartment. Like we can have a fresh start. Like a new apartment would be good for us. And this is what they do. Both of them go and sign for a lease on an apartment. And because of the agreement on that particular apartment, two months rent needed to be paid up front. And who paid for that rent? Zach. And then literally the day after they signed this lease, Addie went to the landlord behind Zach's back and said to the landlord, oh, Zach is not on the contract anymore. Zach's not going to be living there. Like, just take him off. It's just going to be me. And the landlord believed her. I don't know if Addie tricked him in some way. I don't know. And that's exactly what the landlord did. He took Zach's name off the lease. And when they were in the apartment, Addie just kicked Zach out, even though he was the one that paid for the rent. And that was obviously Addie's plan all along. She needed somewhere to stay. She clearly didn't have enough money to afford it herself. And she took advantage of Zach. And when Zach found out about this, he was quite understandably furious about it. And of course, the two of them argued and this argument went on into the early hours of the morning. And then around 1am that morning on the 5th of October 2006, during the argument, Zach Bowen tragically strangled Addie Hall to death. Now I've got to warn you, here the next bit of this case is weird, strange, bizarre and just all around not nice. So not long after the murder, Zach committed necrophilia. So that means he had sex with Addie's corpse. And then after he had had sex with Addie's body, he lay down next to her and fell asleep, like next to her. And then the next morning when he woke up, 
he went about his day as if nothing had happened. And I, ugh, I, I, I struggle to kind of understand this. It's almost like he's had like, I, I, I don't know what to call it because I'm not a medical professional or anything, but it does almost seem like he's had a psychotic break or something like that argument, the whole apartment thing or whatever. It's like, he's just snapped and he's turned into this different person. He's killed Addy, committed necrophilia. And then all of a sudden he's like going back to the, his normal behavior. Where did that come from, Zach? It's, it's like you don't just suddenly wake up one day and commit necrophilia, do you? I mean, ugh. where did that come from? Like I said, he woke up the next morning and went about his day like nothing had happened. So he did go to work. And then once he returned from work, he obviously entered the apartment and he was like, oh, maybe I should clean up all of this and try and hide the evidence of Addy's body. And that's what he did. Over the next several days, he went about disposing of Addy's body. He cut up Addy's body in the bath with a hacksaw and a knife. And after separating all of the body parts, he decided that he needed to remove the flesh from the bones. And he thought the best way to do this was to cook the various body parts. So he cut off all of Addie's hair. I don't know why he did that. Like, I don't know. And he placed her head in a pot on the front of the stove. He then placed Addie's hands and feet into another pot and he put that pot on the back of the stove. He then put her arms and her legs in a roasting dish and put them in the oven. He then placed her torso in a black plastic bag, which he did put in the fridge just to deal with later. And all of this took several days. Like Zach was able to do this and no one suspected a thing. There were a couple of people that lived nearby that were just like, is there something going on like in that apartment? But nobody really had like strong suspicions of anything going on. Friends did start to ask Zach, like, where's Addie? Like, where has she gone? But Zach just told everyone that Addie had gone back to North Carolina and no one suspected a thing because if there was one thing about Addie is that she was unpredictable. So people were like, uh, yeah, that just sounds like Addie. But Zach's co-workers did notice that he was acting quite strange. Zach also threw himself into partying a lot more as well. He was taking a lot more drugs. He was drinking a lot more alcohol and he was just completely off the rails at this point. And then on the 17th of October, 2006, so roughly around two weeks after the murder of Addy, Zach committed suicide by jumping off the seventh floor of a New Orleans hotel. And the police were called to the scene immediately. And when the police inspected the scene, they found that Zach had a note on him in a plastic bag and the note was in one of Zach's pockets and the note said, I am going to be looking down so I don't get this wrong. This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol car to 826 North Rampart Street, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven, on the stove and in the fridge and a full signed confession from myself. Zach Bowen. The letter was addressed to police only and alongside the note was also a key to the apartment. And the first thing that they noticed when they entered the apartment 
was just how cold it was. It was almost like it was like a fridge freezer situation. And the police think that Zach had done that on purpose to preserve Addie's body. They also found writing all over the walls. It was spray painted on. And the messages on the wall said things like, I love her, I'm a total failure. One message also said, look in the oven with an arrow pointing towards the oven. And then on the oven, on the oven door, it said, don't open. So the police open the oven and they look on the stove as well. And of course, they do find the body parts of Addie Hall. And the police at first thought cannibalism. They thought that someone has clearly killed someone in order to eat them. And I can understand why they got to that conclusion. But an autopsy on Zach did confirm that he did not consume any of Addie's body parts. They did find another note from Zach in the apartment. And the note said, I killed her at 1am Thursday, the 5th of October. I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. The rest of the note said, I scared myself not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years, but by my lack of remorse. I then decided to quit my job and spend the 1,500 cash I had been happy until I killed myself. Now, of course, following this case, there are a lot of theories as to what happened because it is like, what the hell? Like, how the hell did this happen? And some of the theories focus on the apartment and where it was situated. So the apartment that Zach and Addie moved into, 826 Rampart Street, was actually located above the Voodoo Spiritual Temple in New Orleans. And a lot of people or some people, I don't know if it's a lot of people, some people have suspected that Zach was influenced by the spirits and this is what drove him to commit the murder and to commit such a horrific murder as well. He didn't just kill Addie, like he said he calmly strangled her, whatever, but he had sex with her corpse, he went about his life as if nothing had happened, he then completely chopped her up cooked her. It's like, how does one escalate to that? Like, I don't know. There have also been reports of paranormal activity in the apartment since the case. People have reported feeling watched. People have reported hearing voices. I think some people have said that the voices are saying things as well that are to do with this case. The temple was then actually damaged in a fire in 2016 and moved to a different location. And then following this, both the temple and the apartment have been made into a museum. And there are actually tours that happen of the apartment because of the murder of Addy and all of the weird things that happen with Zach. People actually go and take a tour of the temple and the apartment and the oven, just wanna say that, is still in the apartment, the exact oven. So yeah, there are some theories that believe that the voodoo spiritual temple was somehow involved. I, I don't know if I believe that, but a lot of the theories do point towards Zach and just his battle with his inner demons. I mean, we know that Zach was suffering from severe PTSD. We know that his PTSD was triggered after Hurricane Katrina and the military coming in. So I don't think that the murder had anything to do with the voodoo spiritual temple. I mean, I don't really know much about that. So I'm not gonna mess with the supernatural world or anything like that, I don't know. And Addy was also abusive. So it could have been one of those situations where he just snapped. Not that I'm saying that the murder is okay. 
definitely not saying that. It's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because Addie wasn't the nicest person, but of course she did not deserve to be murdered. No one deserves to be murdered. And of course, this whole story is so sad. I mean, I feel so sorry for Lana and the two children, Jackson and Lily, because they lost their father because of this. And that brings us to the end of this episode. There are no further updates in the case of Zach and Addie. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.